Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, there was a great number of people that were opposed to Jesus. They wanted to catch him on some kind of technicality and thereby ruin his ministry. They saw him as a foe. And a group called the Pharisees, they were one among the most adamant people who were against Jesus. And in our first reading, we see this group send a lawyer to try and trick Jesus. They sent out the best of the best in the hopes that they could mess up with this, this one who is called the Messiah, that they could ruin his ministry. So the lawyer approached Jesus with the question that he thought would ruin his entire ministry. He slyly asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now this question didn't phase Jesus a bit. And his answer is the basis for our study this Advent season. He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the Pharisees, they had no reply for Jesus' answer. Now, during these three weeks that we will be celebrating Advent or the coming of the King Jesus, which culminates in Christmas, we want to see what it means to love the Lord your God with all you've got. The Pharisees thought that this meant refraining from certain things and doing other things. In in the parable of the prodigal son, we heard of the older brother who thought that he gained favor by doing all of the work. He acted as one of the Pharisees. But in the end, the Pharisees, they never did really love God. So we want to see what loving God really means. To do this, we're going to be examining the first three of the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments, they all have to do with loving God. They are commonly known as the first table of the commandments. The second table has to do with loving your neighbor as yourself, and we're going to be looking at those uh, during the season of Lent. The first commandment, and the most crucial of all the commandments, is you shall have no other gods. And Luther notes in the large catechism, I say that whenever you set your heart on and put your trust in, whatever that is, it is truly your God. He further states, a God means that from which you are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. Now, we may run after all sorts of things when we get stressed out. But this commandment means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We do our trust in and expect from God every good thing. When we are in trouble or distress, 
We are to run to God for our shelter, our help, our refuge. So the question is, how do we fear, love, and trust in God above all things? Well, since the world began, there's all sorts of answers to what that means. The obvious one is don't create other gods to worship. And that's exactly what the Old Testament, uh, what our Old Testament lesson did. They were stressed out because Moses seemed to be gone for so long. Their fearless leader was gone. And they said, we don't know what became of this Moses fellow. Make for us gods that we can worship and follow. So Aaron gathers together all of their belongings, their goods. You see that? They took all they had, their wealth, and they devoted it to this God. And out comes this golden calf from the fire. And they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They sought their refuge. They gave all their credit to this one thing. Then they totally turned their back on the one true God in the process. God was angered by this people. It said that he wanted to destroy them. But instead, remembering his promise, he had mercy on them. Man's love, it fell short. The people did not fear, love, or trust in God. They put God below a golden calf that they made with their own hands. Let me ask you this. Do you ever grow impatient with God? Do you ever worry about your security, about your position in life? And do you go running after things of this world for shelter? We run after all sorts of things. We make up all sorts of gods to worship, just as the Israelites did. But if we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, we must confess first that we have put other things, things created in this world, above him. I want you to think of specific things that you put your trust in. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's possessions, clothes. Maybe it's your relationships or your reputation. Maybe it's substances. It's different for each one of us. But we, the truth about all of us is that we are miserable at fearing, loving, and trusting in God. And we run to many different gods. Now we may not build a golden image, we may not bow down before some idol that we made, some statue. But we all trust in other gods in subtle ways. Only you know the way in which you serve other gods. Loving God is something we're not good at. When I think of loving God, I think of three main verses. Here's the first one, Romans 3. It's as it is written, none 
is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. This means nobody obeys the first commandment. Nobody seeks God. Nobody fears God. Nobody loves him. Nobody trusts him. On our own accord, we don't love God. I think of Luther once, he said, the commandment was to love God, and because of his commandments that I broke, I didn't love him, I hated him, because I couldn't keep his commands. The second verse I think of when I think of loving God is 1 John 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 10. This says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love does not start with us. Love springs forth from God and it culminates in him sending his son for the payment of our sins. We who were his enemies, we sinners. This leads me to the last verse that I think of when I think of loving God. It's Luke 7, verse 47. Jesus speaks this verse to a sinful woman who has just washed his feet with her very own tears. The Pharisees thought that Jesus should not let this woman come near him, but he not only let her touch him, he forgave her. Jesus said to the woman, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she Loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now she loved God because she first recognized that Jesus was God's love for her. Imagine taking God's law seriously. Imagine believing that that law actually condemns me to hell. That's exactly what we confess on Sunday mornings when we say, I deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. And then here comes the answer. For the sake of your infinite mercy in your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, And she sees his infinite mercy in the flesh. The propitiation, the payment for her sins. God's love for her. She had a lot of sins. But when she saw God's love for her, she welled up and the water overfilled and spilled right out of her eyes. Her gratefulness and love for God increased because God first loved her. She feared God because of her sins. 
She loved God because he sent his only son to pay for those sins. And she trusted God by the power of the Holy Spirit because in Jesus she saw mercy. What sins that you have committed would cause you to weep in prayer? God has taken these sins away. You may wash his feet with the water from your tears, but this is only because he has first washed you in the waters of holy baptism. We, like the woman, we love God, but only because he first loved us. Now in our gospel lesson, we see an awesome, awesome parable of what this love is. This love is first seen before Jesus even begins the parable. It's where he's sitting. Because right from the very beginning, we read that the Pharisees saw Jesus and they were appalled because of where he was. He was with people like you and me. It says, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. But what disgusted the Pharisees brings praise from our lips. And we thankfully will be singing, Jesus sinners does receive. Anyway, Jesus begins his parable. He says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Do you see what the son did? He put his father's gifts before his father. And he asked for his father's inheritance before his father died. He was saying, you're as good as dead to me. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. This is proved by the next verse. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. He not only took the father's gifts and put his trust in them, he used those gifts to get as far away from his father as he could. We do the exact same thing. Think about all the gifts that God gives us. He gives us all of our possessions. We end up putting them above his will. And we fight over them. And we envy each other over them. God gives us sex. And we squander it. And we manipulate it into something that it was never meant to be. And God has given us this earth and we abuse it, and we kill each other over its resources. We use God's gifts to get as far away from him as we possibly can. But where does this lead us? To nothing. This leads us to the same place that it led the prodigal son he who was the son of a wealthy man lost everything and he was nothing left with nothing left to eat 
He was longing to eat the pig's feet. How could he have ever stooped so low? How could he have ever lacked so much fear, love, and trust in his father? How could we? Jesus continues, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I am perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son, he thought he had to think of a speech before he returned to his father. Do you ever think that? I do sometimes. Do you ever think that there is no way that God is going to forgive you or that he even wants to be around you? Do you ever wonder if God hears your prayers because of all of the awful things you've done? Well, we learn of the Father's love for us as we look at the Father's love in this parable. It says, So the young man arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He'd been looking for him all this time. He felt compassion for him. And he ran to him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. The son didn't even get a chance to confess his sin. Before the son could even speak, he was embraced, he was kissed, he was filled with the father's love. In the same way, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you were ever even born, God gave his grace and mercy to you from the cross of his son. Even though you have tried hard to get away from God, he has continually sought you out, embraced you with the open arms of his son on the cross. He clothed you in the righteousness of his own son, in the waters of holy baptism. And like the father in the parable that fed the wayward son with meat from the fattened calf, our heavenly father feeds us with life-giving food from his very altar. And our father's goodness, it causes us to love much, for we have been forgiven much. We have feared him because we've broken his law. We trust him because of his great, infinite mercy. And we love God because he has first loved us. Abiding, staying, and continuing in this undeserved, lavish love of God is the only source for our love for him. 
And during this Advent season, I want you to recognize that the coming of Jesus in the flesh to this lost world on Christmas morning, it is really the Heavenly Father running to you with open arms. And may your love for God increase as you continue to rest in the embrace and kisses of his forgiveness. Amen. Let us stand as we sing together the first three verses of Jesus Sinners Does Receive.